Hello, everybody. Welcome to Invisible Injuries, a discussion about PTSD. I want to introduce myself. I'm your host. My name is Joe. The first thing we wanted to share with you was what is our mission? The primary objective is to inform listeners about PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, its symptoms, its causes, current treatments, the latest research, and available resources. We believe that more knowledge, resources, and treatment lead to better outcomes and higher quality of life for people living with PTSD and for their families, friends, and coworkers. One of the big takeaways that we really want to drive home is I'm a, I'm a combat veteran and I've spoken with other people um, that have PTSD and, and they didn't receive their injuries, their psychological injuries in combat. And they're like, oh yeah, but it wasn't anything like what you went through. And I always tell them that's absolutely not correct. Your brain doesn't care where you got your trauma from. PTSD is PTSD. They really wanted to drive home is you do not have to serve on the front line of a literal combat zone to have profound life-altering trauma. Some of the most severe cases I've ever seen were for veterans that were never even in combat. They just flew into the country and um, maybe took a convoy to the base they were at. They stayed on that base and then they took a convoy out of the country and caught a flight. And I think just being in a place where your thought is always, there's always this thought, somebody is gonna try to kill me. I might die at any moment. I'm surrounded, I'm in a place where there are people that will try to hurt me and, and will, uh, given the opportunity. And I've seen what that does to people. Your brain will literally change. Your, your, your brain wants very, very badly to keep you alive. It is the strongest urge that, that the human brain has. And so when you're in a life-threatening situation, real, imagined, or um, even tangentially, and you'll start focusing on threats or perceived threats. You're constantly doing threat analysis. You know, when you're in Iraq, I don't call it being hypervigilant um, because you're constantly scanning your, your surroundings and doing threat analysis. They call it not dying. These are literally skills your brain develops in order to maximize your chance of survival. And so you don't even have to be in combat for your brain to change in a very, very real way. Another thing I've noticed is, is you don't even have to be in Iraq or Afghanistan to have your life threatened. You can be, think about the poor people we have growing up in violent neighborhoods or God help us inside of violent homes. You don't even have to be the direct victim of that violence. Uh, it could be a neighbor, a friend, a family member, an aunt, an uncle. It doesn't have to be you. What if you just hear gunshots as part of a, a regular occurrence, is gunshots in your neighborhood. You go to school the next day and you're expected to fit in. And you're supposed to focus on your classwork. Then you're supposed to go out and get a job and get along with your coworkers. I think that there aren't children just growing up today. There are adults among us that grew up in these situations. And it affects them profoundly, profoundly in ways that cannot be comprehended by people that have not experienced it. What if you had a really, really unfortunate relationship with your parents? What if you had, um, you were physically or sexually abused? And it doesn't even take that emotional abuse 
the psychological abuse, that's the stuff that really sticks with you. The, the physical wounds, they heal. But what if you had a cruel or a violent parent or an, a parent that, that struggled with substance or alcohol abuse or domestic violence? What if you had a mother that was just very cruel to you, constantly shaming you, constantly putting you down, constantly judging you or treating you like property, even as an adult? These kinds of very valid forms of trauma can stick with people for the rest of their lives. And some people, they might, uh, you might have one person who, um, as a result of being, you know, viciously bullied by a, a parent, might become a bully themselves. Or in another person, it might express itself as anorexia or eating disorders or cutting behaviors. And so it's, it's all trauma. It's all valid. And what I'm really hoping is that if you fall into that category, if you think you might fall into that category, or if you know somebody that does or might be, hopefully from this podcast, you're able to get some really valuable information, get some value out of this. And one thing I'd like you to know is you're not alone. I was diagnosed the first time I'd ever even heard of PTSD was in 2005 when I was diagnosed after my second tour coming home from Fallujah. I'm not going to share a lot of the finer grain details of my personal experience, but I will share some of it. My journey from PTSD running my life to today. And I want you to know that it, if, if you're living you know, with really severe anxiety or depression or you've been diagnosed with PTSD, if you do the right things, it does get better. As long as you're doing the right things. If you're moving in the right direction, it is absolutely worth it. If you're moving in the wrong direction, um, I think a lot of us know what that feels like and just what a hopeless, painful feeling that is. So uh, we're going to be discussing some of that. Um, another thing that, that um, inspired me to make this is when I was in Denver, I met a, a wonderful young woman, and she was just coming off of her 12-hour nursing shift in one of the COVID wards at the end of the Delta wave. My God, the look on her face. I've only seen that look in, in one other place, and that was literally on the faces of the Marines that were coming off the, like several days of fighting in Fallujah, when there was just nothing left to give of yourself, when you were just so physically and mentally and emotionally exhausted that you're barely able to walk, and just that stare off into nothingness, and I saw that in her face. And um, she, had to go to, she had to go back to work in 10 hours. This had been her life for months and months and months, and she was telling me that it wasn't unusual for her to end a shift and then come back the following day and have sometimes an entire new set of patients because the ones from the shift previously had all died. Uh, she said that was not unusual at all, and she described just what a hopeless, helpless feeling it was being in the situation where you're seeing all of these people die and you're doing everything you can to keep them alive, but you can't getting to know these people and seeing the fear on their face and the fears in the faces of their families as they're intubating them, knowing that the majority of those people don't make it. She faced this every single day for, I think, the better part of two years. That's what originally got me interested. And I've spoken with several other nurses, well, two other nurses that also worked in COVID wards during the pandemic. I'm not a doctor. But I do know PTSD. I am unfortunately familiar with PTSD. And my goodness, the symptom overlap. Um, if it wasn't PTSD, the, the overlap in symptoms was just incredible to me. 
God willing, that these three nurses, I only have three data points. That's not enough to, to draw uh, firm conclusions. And God willing, these are outliers, but my gut says they're not. My gut says is that we might have an entire generation of nurses that sacrifice their physical and mental well-being to serve us um, during our time of need, that they're going without the support from society and from the government that they deserve. They sacrifice their health for us, and um, they deserve our support. To that point, um, I have scheduled, I'm going to be going to um, the Texas Nursing Conference here in a few days. I'm really hoping that I'm able to meet some people that could shed some light on that, and hopefully we're able to get some really great interviews. You know, there shouldn't be cameras in the ER, in the OR, um, in hospitals. You know, people have a right to decency and dignity and privacy. Um, the downside to that is, is that, that we don't know what they went through. It was awful. It was absolute awful. So hopefully I'm able to meet some people that are willing to share their stories, and hopefully I'm, I'm willing to, to meet some of the leaders in the nursing population, and they're able to, to shed some light. You know, are these nurses I spoke to, are they outliers? Is this a broader problem that we have? I'd sure like to find that out. And so that's one of the things I'm going to really be looking into here in this podcast. Fortunately, and, and very, very fortunately, we do have some wonderful interviews scheduled. Dr. Anka Vihanovich, Director of the Trauma and Stress Studies Center at the University of Houston, is going to take time to come and speak with us, and she is one of the world's leading experts on PTSD. We also have Mr. David Malsby, Executive Director of the PTSD Foundation of America. We are really fortunate that here in Houston, Texas, we have a facility called Camp Hope. Mr. Malsby um, is the director. He's the Executive Director of Camp Hope, and it's an in-and-outpatient facility for, for high-risk veterans. And so veterans in their most desperate need can call Mr. Malsby, and he will take them in and provide them with housing and with uh, treatment and recovery services. A wonderful interview coming up with him. Before we wrap up, I wanted to tell you all a little bit about myself. My name is Joseph Mary, like Merry Christmas, but with one arm. I was born and raised here in Texas. I was a senior when 9-11 happened. I joined the Marine Corps after that, and literally the day after my graduation, they put me in a hotel room, and the next day I shipped out for boot camp. I eventually became a combat engineer. I trained out uh, on the East Coast at Camp Lejeune. And right after that, they sent me to my unit in Camp Pendleton, and we went to the Kuwaiti Desert. In March of 2003, I was one of the very first Marines on the ground in Iraq. That was my first tour. My second tour, I ended up being deployed to the Anbar province, to a city called Fallujah. And in November of 2004, Operation Phantom Fury kicked off. I was very much part of that. I fought in Fallujah from 2004. That operation lasted uh, through 2005. It was shortly after that that I was diagnosed with PTSD. I'd never even heard of it. No idea what it was. And it was a very, very serious issue for me. It affected me profoundly and dominated my life for more than 10 years. PTSD you know, pretty much ran my life and had a profound negative effects on my personal and professional relationships. I do want to share some of my story and some of my journey with PTSD because I want you to know it really does get better. If you're doing the right things, it does get better. After being diagnosed with PTSD and honorably discharged from the Marine Corps, I went to school at Texas A&M University in 2007. And while I was there, I got my undergraduate and my master's degrees in geology. Turns out the uh, corporate world wasn't quite for me, but that's okay. It was part of the learning, so I don't use those degrees anymore. While I was at Texas A&M from 2009 to 2015, I was the platoon sergeant 
for the 1st 112th Cavalry there in Bryan College Station at the Guard Unit, and I was ultimately retired. They retired me as sergeant in uh, 2015. That's just a little bit about myself, and I just wanted you all to know a little bit about me so that you kind of understood where I was coming from. This, for me, is not just an interesting issue and something, an important issue. It's a very personal issue for me. I'm really grateful that I'm here right now and in the condition that I'm in right now that I'm able to share this with you. Before we go, there were a handful of things I wanted to close with. For me, the journey to a better life began with the commitment to changing my inner dialogue and that conversation I had in my head, those inner thoughts that I have in my head. Something that um, is very much true for me is that the quality of your life depends on the quality of the thoughts in your head. That is 99.9% of it. I believe that that is driven by cyclical negative thinking. Not that your thoughts aren't completely valid, not that your feelings aren't completely justified. The problem is, is when it becomes a cycle. There's something I do called the interception. This was one of just the biggest game changers for me. Just for sticking with American football, an interception is when one team is moving the ball towards their opponent's goal line and the ball is caught in midair by their opponent and taken in the other direction. That's an interception. I've learned to do that with the compulsive thoughts in my head. I would really encourage people to, to give it a shot and, and count the number of interceptions you have in your head if you begin going down a negative line of thinking. If you find yourself engaging in a behavior that you know will ultimately not benefit you or that you'll regret later, try the interception. Catch yourself and move that thoughts or even your physical body in the other direction. First few times you do it, it's gonna be a little weird, but for instance, you wake up in the morning and something reminds you of something that's profoundly upsetting to you, and this just triggers an entire waterfall uh, chain reaction of negative thinking. This is a perfect time for the interception, is you catch yourself, you metaphorically catch yourself. There it is, I'm doing it, interception. Say interception in your own head. Like I caught myself and take a moment to appreciate and thank yourself for doing that. Literally tell yourself, interception, good job, you caught it. Maybe it starts going back in that negative direction again. Do it as many times as it takes. But for me, what really works is catching that string of negative thoughts. I literally say to myself, interception. And I go, all right, thank God you caught it before that kept going. I have learned to replace it with another line of thinking. And so that's the interception. And I hope that, I hope that you're able to find that valuable. So again, I want to thank everybody that uh, stuck it out this far. Uh, my name is Joe, and this is Invisible Injuries, a discussion about PTSD.